what you uh, what you learned the last couple of weeks? I, I've had good report on Kyle, so I expect you learned a great deal. I notice he's not here tonight. <clears throat> maybe maybe you booted him out last week. Was that it? You have any questions about anything to this point? talking about discipling. We've been talking about discipling. Tonight we want to talk a little bit about uh, encouraging a passion for evangelism and missions as a part of our discipling strategy, our discipling makeup. Um, sometimes in churches we kind of compartmentalize um, things. You know, we kind of have this siloed approach to ministry. It's one of the things that I can say for the last uh, 12 years, 15 years here in this church, we've tried to work diligently and hard to get away from. We don't want a church where we've got these, and by silos, I'm talking about specific ministries, you know, like the youth ministries over here in this corner, and senior adult ministries in this corner, and the children's ministries over there, and the music ministries here, and all these ministries existing under one roof, but they're all essentially independent of one another. Uh, we want an integrated, a wholly integrated church, uh, age-wise and ministry-wise, where, you know, we're, we're doing things together, you know, where the youth have the benefit of being with adults, senior adults even, and learning from them, and where the senior adults have the joy of spending time with those that are younger and feeding off their energy and seeing how God's working in their lives and sharing some of the wisdom and experience that you've gained through the years. So this is church life, you know, just like you would at home. Uh, when we think about our families, when you think about your family, you're thinking about um, the forces that come in to do harm to your family that, that make it difficult. You know, we, we've all seen it, right? You know, when kids reach a certain age, they just want to stay in their room. They don't want to come out, inter, 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 uh, interact with the family. You know, they don't, they don't think mom and dad know what they're talking about and all these things. And so these things begin to push us apart, don't they? And the family's not a lot of fun at that point, is it? It's a struggle, Stu, right? Uh, you're trying to sort that out. You're trying to help your kids grow up into adults and they're trying to figure it out too. And they're trying to figure out, you know, it's time for me to be an adult. It's time for me to make my own decisions. And so they're pushing away. But yet at the same time, they want to be embraced and they want boundaries and they want, but they don't know how to express all that and they don't know how to work around it. And, and we as parents sometimes don't know, we forget when we were there how it was and we don't know how to help them. So we might try too hard to pull them in and we force it and it gets worse. Or we may turn them loose completely and just let them go their own way unbridled and that doesn't end well. So finding that, that area of, of tension and balance you know, where you can help them and still give them freedoms, that's a challenge. And the same thing happens in the body of Christ. We need each other because we're a family. We need to do life together because... We, we've all got things that others need to learn from us and things they need to give to us. As iron sharpens iron, the scripture says, we need to be able to do that. So we don't want just siloed 
gatherings of people under this roof. We want us coming together. Not that we won't have times where the youth are doing things uh, among themselves or senior adults doing those things, but we don't want to all you know, build walls and stay behind those walls like that. So when you think about discipling, it can become compartmentalized in our minds too. That discipling are those people that, you know, they have people they meet with one-on-one and they, they teach them to memorize verses and they do these kind of things and blah, blah, blah. And these are disciplers. And I've been in places, I've been in churches even, where some people who are big advocates of discipleship ministry at the expense of evangelism. You know, in missions, it's like those things don't exist. They, they, and they'll even ridicule it and say, well, you can't have evangelism if you don't disciple. And I would say, well, you can't disciple if you don't do evangelism. You know, they go together. Uh, it, and it's really, it shouldn't be siloed. It shouldn't be compartmentalized. They should be seen as being part of the same, the same stream, right? You've got evangelism going on and missions going on and a part of that is discipleship and a part of discipleship is learning to evangelize and participate in missions and things like that it's a whole life view it's a whole life way of doing um, this Christian life right so we're going to cover the topics of evangelism and missions tonight and see kind of how they relate to discipleship. Not two separate topics. They're closely related. So how would you define evangelism? You got it on your handout? Telling the gospel. unbelievers and I would add to that that telling the gospel is not only telling them you know hey sin has separated us from God sin's our problem Christ is the solution and until you you can believe these things but until you put your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you you're going to continue to be separated from God And so the gospel is telling someone how they can be reconciled, they can be restored to God through Jesus Christ, right? But it's also leading them to that point where you invite them, you encourage them to actually do that. It's not enough just to give them head knowledge. You want to appeal to the heart. You want want to, I hate to put it this way, but I think it's a good analogy. You know, when I first started out of college and I was in, sales and and you read uh, some of those books and they'll tell you that you know it doesn't matter how good the presentation is you got to what you got to ask for the order right you know you think you do this great presentation they're just going to come flocking in the door and give you all their business but they made this point early on in my business classes that you got to ask for the order don't assume that they're going to give you the order doesn't care. It doesn't matter how great the presentation is. Don't assume they're going to give you the order based upon your presentation. They go away and say, that was really a great presentation. That's a great product. But unless you ask them to place an order, you may not get one. Same thing in, a, in 
sort of the same way with, with evangelism. You know, we all ought to improve and understand how we can share the gospel effectively, how we can communicate it correctly. All right? I'm not talking about a canned approach. Okay? You can do that, but you want this to be something that flows out of your heart, something that comes from intimate knowledge that you have of how you came to Christ. So you want to share, but when you share, you also want to tell them how they can embrace, how they can believe themselves. Not just give them a head knowledge where they go away thinking that's all that's required. It's the old illustration of if you're sick and go to the doctor and he says, here's what's wrong with you. I'm going to write your prescription. You take these pills when you get home and it's going to make you better. If you don't, you're going to die. Okay? That's gospel. But until you take those pills, you haven't done yourself any good. It doesn't matter if you believe what the doctor said or not, right? In theory, if you believe what he said, if you have faith in what he said, you'll put your faith in the solution that he's given you. And this is the way the gospel operates. So, and again, I don't want you to walk out here thinking that your job is to get somebody to pray the prayer, you know. But you want to encourage them by saying, you know, this is the gospel, but you must believe it. You must put your faith and trust in Christ, and here's how you can do that. The Bible says you do it by calling upon Christ and repenting of your sin and asking him to be your personal savior, to, to take over your life. So you don't stop short on that. <clears throat> Evangelism is telling the gospel to unbelievers. What's missions then? Is it different? Is it the same? Doing evangelism across cultures. So they're really very similar. They're really the same thing. Missions is a little bit more intentional in that you're going to encounter cultural differences. It may be that you have to travel to another country. You know, you may go to Senegal where we have a relationship there in the city of Dakar where we're trying to work with missionaries and help establish some believers there and build a church there. Not build a building but through the gospel see people come to Christ and begin to follow Christ because it's less than a half a percent or something like that of Christians that live in, in that area. They're all Muslims. So we go doing evangelism. We want to do evangelism in a culture that's not like ours. You can go to uh, Argentina, you can go to Turkey, you can go anywhere. You're going into a different culture. You, the, the interesting thing is we don't even have to get on a plane to go into different cultures now, do we? You can go to Clarkston. You can go to David's neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Right. How many There's Asian Indians uh, populate your neighborhood over there pretty heavily, right? 50, 60%. 50 or 60%. That's, that's less than... A mile probably as the crow flies behind our church. Okay? Um, you can go over between Mansell and Holcomb Bridge and 409, and you find heavy Hispanic population uh, in that area. That's a couple of miles from here, right? Uh, you go up 140, you're going to run into some uh, some other churches that are... Uh, I can't remember exactly. I want to say 
Might be some Ukrainian. Might be a Ukrainian church up that way. Somewhere in that Eastern European um, area, there have been, there been, I can't, I can't recall right now, but what I'm saying is that we know if you go over here toward uh, Sewanee and Duluth, what are you going to find? Korean. Korean. A huge population of Koreans. So the world is at our door here. You don't have to go far to cross cultures. Clarkston's a great example. I mean, in fact, our young people would go on Sunday evenings over there once a month for several years as a training ground for doing missions because we, we've been sending people out of the country to go visit other countries, but that was a great place to go and get them acclimated in how you go into a culture that's not like yours with the intention of doing evangelism. You may have to work through an interpreter. You certainly have to work through understanding differences in how people live their lives, how they go about doing their business. Uh, there's some things you can't do. I was on the beach uh, last Saturday, last Friday or Saturday, I can't remember which, and um, this guy comes walking over in front of me, and um, he's, uh, he doesn't look like me, and he asked me about the sand on the beach down there. He said, this sand is so, uh, so uh, clean and everything. And he said, is it, you know, essentially you want to know if it was synthetic, you know, <laughs> if it was made or crafted somehow. He, he was an Indian, uh, Asian Indian. And, uh, and I, you know, I've made probably 15 trips to India in my life, did a lot of mission work over there, so I'm always intrigued with these. These guys come out of the woodwork and want to talk to me. It's just the way God works, you know. Once you've had that, there's something that says it's tattooed on your head, you know. I've been to India, I love you people, and they just come to you and start up conversations. So he come just stopped. Huh? Come to Waterside. Yeah, come to Waterside. I need to come to Waterside, that's right. And he, uh, so we got to talking. You know, well, it turns out he lives in Lawrenceville. Oh my. He's down there. His son had brought him down for the weekend, you know, just to, just to treat him and his wife uh, for a weekend out. But uh, he's probably about my age, so we hit it off just great and had a great conversation there for a few minutes. But I understand how his mind thinks because I've been around uh, his people, his culture enough to where I have some insights into that. So it was really funny. My wife kept trying to say things to him. He would ignore her. And I knew while this was going on that she was getting a little frustrated because she said a couple of things and he just acted like nothing, you know, the wind's blowing a little bit. And, and she said, he really didn't, he wasn't going to talk to me. And I said, he was being polite. You were in the pre your husband was here. I said, if you had been there and he had started the conversation with you, he would have probably had the conversation. But because I was there, he wasn't acknowledging you. You know, you just, just don't do it different i've taken i've taken uh ladies from our church to india when i was going and one lady i had i had to reprimand her because her you know american personality you know extrovert in your business in your grill and she's talking to the men over there and i had to pull her aside and say you can't talk to these men this way over here and she said, well, I don't understand why not. And I said, because you're not in America, Dorothy. You're, you know, you're in India and things work differently over here. Now, you can buck that and think you're going to change it, but you won't. You know, you're not going to change it. So you might as well adapt. And that's what doing missions is about, is adapting so that you can do evangelism, so you can share the gospel. 
Okay. So how do we go about encouraging evangelism? Why should we? Think about some, let's think about some reasons why we should evangelize. First of all, evangelism is compelled and commanded for Christians. Right? It's, it's our marching orders. Go and make disciples. As you're going through life, make disciples. You make disciples, first of all, by making converts. You know? One of the church's problems today is we've tried to make disciples out of people who are not converts. We teach them intellectually things from the Bible without seeing the heart changed. Okay? And that's, I think that's a big, uh, big way that liberalism has crept into, into the Christian faith is that we've treated it like any other knowledge that we would gain, head knowledge, and not gone through the heart. Evangelism is normal for Christians. Let's look in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. Is it hot in here for y'all? It's kind of sticky, isn't it, Maggie? Or is it my imagination? Yeah. Okay, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if you are beside ourselves, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that? Ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that this? It's not the ministry of reconciling ourselves to one another. That's not what he's talking about here. I mean, that's important for us to reconcile differences that we have, right? But he's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. He's, it's surrounding the, the gospel here. He's talking about a new creation. Any man who believes in Christ, who is in Christ, is a new creation. And when he's a new creation, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means we go and help others be reconciled to God by telling the gospel. <clears throat> that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. There we go again. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he doesn't say here, since we have apostles, we try to persuade men. Or since we have the special gift of evangelism, 
we try to persuade men. He says he fears the Lord. He who fears the Lord, he is compelled to share the gospel and the love of Christ. And so the same should be true for every Christian. It's all of our responsibilities, right? If you know Christ, if you're in Christ, you have the responsibility to tell others about Christ. Right? If it's that important, and it should be, if you, if you know Him, you should believe it's that important, then you should want to tell and share it with others. <clears throat> because we fear God, we're compelled to evangelize. Evangelism is commanded of all Christians. We share our faith with an unsaved world because that is what God commands us to do. Makes no sense to hoard the gospel to ourselves, does it? We have the best news that anyone would ever want to know, so why shouldn't we want to share it? Evangelism is also a source of joy for Christians. We're compelled to evangelize, and evangelism is a critical source of joy for Christians. I'm going to take you to Philemon. Philemon, which is a one-chapter book right after Titus, right before Hebrews. Verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the Father that you have toward the Lord Jesus for, and for all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy... And comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed, have refreshed, have been refreshed through you. So Paul expresses joy in the fruit of God's work in the life of his friend, his friend Philemon. He also encourages Philemon and us to share the gospel in a regular manner for our joy. And when we share our faith, we better understand our faith. Right? We better understand what Christ has done for us. The more we share it, the deeper it drives into our own hearts and our own minds. Now, we don't want to guilt people. I don't want to stand in here and guilt you into going and sharing your faith. Yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, next week I'm going to ask you how many have shared your faith this week with somebody. And I'm going to give you a shiny gold piece. And those of you who hadn't, I'm going to give you a slap on the face. That'd be wrong, wouldn't it? You can't, that's not, that doesn't induce the kind of spirit to share the gospel effectively anymore, right? That, that's, a sales, that's a sales goal, you know? That's the way we go about trying to entice people to attain goals, achieve things. What we want to do is as we go, that's the image that's painted for us in Scripture. As we're going through life, always be ready to share the gospel with those that we encounter, if we're making this our intention, and we've said a lot, we've talked a lot about discipleship being intention, right? But if you start out with this being your intention, these things being your intention, and, and you start out in the morning as, as a believer, there ought to be a time of prayer, right? As you're starting your day, you want to talk to God and set the tone for the day. I mean, if I belong to him and I'm in pursuit of him now that he's pursued and captured me and I have affections for him, then I should want to seek God and seek a life that's pleasing for God day by day, hour by hour. So 
starting out that day in conversation with my boss is important, isn't it? So I have a conversation with my boss. I want to be pleasing to God. These things are clearly at the top of the list for God and how I go about living for Him. So my prayer should include at least petitioning God to help me be better at this today, be more aware of this today, be on the alert. And often that's what it is. It's not that we don't really know how to share our faith, that we don't want to share our faith. A lot of times I find for my life it's that I wasn't alert. You know, I was so busy and caught up in what I was doing, doing life, that it's after I've walked away from a situation and go, oh, why didn't I, that guy set it up? He asked me. He asked me. He invited me to share about my faith, and I didn't. So I need to make sure that God clears my head, my heart, and makes this a priority for me today, that there's an intentionality. So I'm aware when he opens these doors, cracks these windows, that I'm willing to take the, the opportunity. When we do it that way, it's really not that difficult because God has pushed those doors open and guides us through them, and it's, it's just a joy. It's a joy and a privilege. You're not having to make it. When you're not doing it out of guilt, but you're doing it out of a love response for what he's done for us, right? <clears throat> so, evangelism's not just for the other person. It helps us to grow spiritually as well. The ultimate purpose for evangelism, though, is to glorify God. It's, it's not just about seeing the other person transformed. That's important, right? Transformed people. We want to see broken people restored. We also want to see the, um, the fruitfulness and shaping that takes place in us as we are obedient in this way. So we're helping someone else hopefully come to Christ. We're also working out our own salvation as we're doing this. And this all glorifies God. Just stop and think for a minute about all that God, all that God has done to make the gospel possible. To redeem us. We kind of take it for granted, don't we? But we stop and think about a holy God who planned this whole world. He, he, could have, he could have fashioned it and formed it perfectly and forbid it to ever have any kind of failure or fallenness about it. Or when it fell, he could have zapped it, swept it away, and started over again. He could have. It would have diminished his own character had he done it that way. But he's decided that he knew men would fail, men would fall, brokenness would prevail, sin would enter in and seek to destroy what God had made, particularly us who made in his own image to reflect his glory. So as he, as he does this, he makes a commitment that he's not only going to make it, not only going to uh, let it, allow it to be broken, He's going to put it back together better than it was to begin with. And as he does that, all this is going to cost him becoming a human being and dwelling among us. This is an infinite 
eternal, uncontainable, untamable God who's going to enter into a human flesh. No bigger than any, any man or woman sitting in here, you know? Just an average human body. God dwelling among us. Living righteously, without sin, in thought, deed, attitude, in any way, among a world that's completely broken. Get your mind around that. For 33 years, 30-some years, he did that. And then gave himself up, falsely accused and maligned, went to the cross, suffered and died, took on the weight of sin, the separation from God that was due all of us, Gave up his life, shed his blood to pay for our sin, to appease God of his wrath for sin, and then resurrected from the dead back. And now he continues, even in his grace and his mercy, to abide with us until he finally drops the curtain on this and brings, brings the, the full manifestation of the restoration into full vogue again. Now, it's been going on for, you know, thousands of years, right? Since the fall in the garden. How long will it go? I have no idea. But I know that this whole process has cost God dearly. So when I share that with someone, one person that's broken and needs to be redeemed by God, when I share the good news that God has gone to this trouble to make and... God uses it to shape and develop me in my sanctification with Him. He may use it even to transform somebody, but in that whole process, ultimately, He's glorifying His own name. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So evangelism is for God's glory. The purpose of God's substitutionary work in Christ was first and foremost to vindicate the name of God. Romans 3, 25 and 26 tells us that it's for the righteousness of God, for his, the sake of His own righteousness. So we know from other places in Scripture, God showed love for us through the sacrifice of His Son, but the glory of God was the first thing He had in mind. So we need to be reminded that God's glory and, God, and the goodness for God's children is not really that far apart. They're really linked together. What's good for us glorifies God. What glorifies God is good for us. The encouraging evangelism and discipling. In your discipleship relationships, you gain more motivation for evangelism when you understand why you're doing it. Discipleship's not behavior modification. Discipleship is the shaping of a Christian's heart, mind, desires, and motivations. It's changing our affections. It's changing our mindset. It's changing the way that we think, that what we desire. It's not behavior modification. So Stu, back to Ann. We're thinking about this. You're her father. Your goal right now is you want behavior modification. But the more you try to modify the behavior, the harder it's going to be. Because she doesn't, that's not her goal right now, is it? <laughs> so you have to find some way to change her motivations. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trying to say that at all. But I'm saying that's the challenge, right? That's what discipling is. Discipling is wanting to change 
our desires so that we desire what the Father desires. Not just change of behavior. That's legalism. Do this. Do this. Why? Because this is what it says. Yeah, this is what the Ten Commandments say. You shall not do this. And that's, you know, that's not going to prove effective long term. It may, it may be effective for a moment, but it's going to require constant policing, patrolling, enforcement to keep it there. And at some point in time, they'll get tired of it. Then they, that's when they start sneaking around and doing it behind your back, right? So the challenge is not behavior modification. The challenge is desire modification. An active concern for the lost teaches volumes uh, for others. As a discipler, it helps when your friends see evangelism is a natural part of the fabric of your life. It's not done as a special program, but as an overflow of the ongoing process of your life. Okay, Because of the joy, because of the relationship that you have, you want to share that with someone else. You want to share that with others. Evangelism doesn't have to be spontaneous. It can be, but it may not be. <clears throat> it needs to be intentional. It needs to be intentional in my life. It needs to be intentional in your life. And it's not as intentional in my life as it needs to be. It can be deliberate and it can be planned out. Sometimes it just takes a simple conversation with a friend. You know, somebody that you suspect. Maybe they've, they've given you all the write labels and conversation to make try to make you convince you that they are true followers of Christ but you see from the evidence in their lives that it's not true right so a candid conversation may be the beginning of helping that person become a transformed reconciled person with God Uh, I don't think method is. I think motivation is more important. Um, now, and I say that, you know, you can err by taking uh, a simple canned presentation of the gospel. And that may work in some instances, but it may not. You know, I'll give you a little bit of a for instance. When I first came here to this church, we had a, uh, an outreach team. And so every Sunday evening, we had some discipleship classes. I taught a class on how to share the gospel. I encouraged and challenged and expected my team to memorize scripture verses so that they could sit down and share the plan of salvation with someone. They could share, you're lost for this reason. This is what scripture says. You know, Christ is the answer because what scripture says, blah, blah, blah. And so it was designed to help you become comfortable in sharing the gospel. You know, A through whatever. So you could do this with someone. And then we went out and practiced it. And we had other discipleship classes. You know, you may learn, if you've already been through that one and mastered that, then you may learn how to read or study the Bible, how to disciple others, those kind of things. But at the close of that hour of discipleship, then we broke up into teams of three, and we went out and we went to people's homes, and we would actually try to find out what the status of their soul was, you know, what the spiritual needs were, and, and try to share the gospel with them or implement some aspect of what we were doing. Now, <clears throat> that was effective early on, but it quickly became less than effective. 
We had trouble finding people at home. We had, you know, we had up to 35 or 40 people that were participating in this. You know, you had three people on a team, so we'd have 12 or 13 teams uh, going out. So that requires a lot of candidates to visit, okay? And uh, so that was a challenge. But then when you got there and the area, we had people that would drive to ball ground to visit someone, somebody go on the other side of Roswell. I mean, this area was spread out. It's still spread out, but you know, you get there and you had this dilemma. Do I call ahead and ask them if I can come visit them? Which usually you gotta know, don't do it, you know? Or do I take the chance and drive there and show up that they'll let me in and we'll talk with them? And so I usually chose, I'm not calling them. I'm not letting them, know. I'm not gonna give them a chance to say no. I'll take the chance that they'll be home. But it, it quickly became apparent that a lot of them wouldn't be home, but even it even progressed to the point where they might be home and not come to the door. So that doesn't that method doesn't work, you know, in this area anymore. And it quickly, you know, went got even worse. So we might go a whole semester, you know, 15 weeks doing this every week. Think about the hours involved and the people involved. 36 people. Two, two and a half, three hours, because then after we finished, we'd come back to the church and we'd share what had happened on our visit. So you're asking people to give you three hours on a Sunday evening and do all of this work, memorize scripture, learn how to do these things, go out, and you may drive to two houses and all you've done is burn half a tank of gas and you didn't see anybody. Now, one week, that's not a big deal, but when it begins to happen week after week after week, then morale starts to plummet, right? So that's not doing anybody any good. It was maybe making us feel a bit better as a church to think, well, we're doing the right stuff. Well, we weren't doing the right stuff because we weren't getting in front of people to share the gospel. So we made a, an intentional decision to say, look, we need to get back to what the scripture says as we're going through life. You know, if, if we, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15, 16, 16 people in here, if we all... There's no chance, there is no, there's zero chance that between the 16 of us that we're going to spend the next six days and not encounter anybody, right? Now, if you went to somebody, if you, you could go to 16 houses and knock on the door and may not encounter anybody. But as you're going through life, doing work, going to the store, getting gas, exercising, doing all these things, there's zero chance in this area that you're going to go six days without running into somebody and having to have a conversation or can have a conversation, right? So I'm thinking, well, it makes more sense to say our strategy needs to change. As we're going, not when we go two hours on Sunday night because we've just shut out the other hundred and what, 65 hours that week. But as we go then we're not limiting those opportunities to just that. And it also helped the, we hope it will help the rest of the church by saying, just because you're not in the special elite training back here doesn't let you off the hook. You have a responsibility to share as you go too. So let's all do this together, right? That's the more biblical pattern and a better method for doing this. Now, actually sharing the gospel, I mean, the gospel is what it is, you know? Sin has separated us from God, and we are going to be judged by that. 
which means God's going to condemn us to hell. We're already condemned, Scripture says, in fact, because we're born, because we draw breath, because we are fallen creatures. We sin because we're broken and fallen. We don't fall because we sin. So you look at any child. When my girls were coming along, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Stu, but you know, Anne is just a product of a broken world, and not to let her off the hook, but... She is what she is. But I noticed it in mine when they were one and two years of age. You know, they would break all the rules. Nobody, nobody was teaching them how to do that. I asked my wife. I said, are you teaching them this when I'm at work? <laughs> and she said, no. You know, they came into this world with an ability to sin. Okay, that's, the, that's Adam in them. And it's in every one of us. That means that we are separated from God. That's the evidence that we need. We cannot please God in and of ourselves. So, that means God in His holiness can't have anything to do with us. Judgment is our lot, is our destiny, except but God sent Christ into the world to die for our sin so that He could reconcile us to Himself. Christ paid the penalty for the sin and he has uh, fulfilled the righteousness that we couldn't fulfill on our own by keeping the law perfectly and that will be applied to us when we believe on him when we take him in faith and so we do that and that's that's the method you're helping people understand this is the gospel you need the gospel you know it's not going to make you perfect today but it's going to promise you perfection in the future and, and you get credit for being perfect even when you're not in Christ because he's already, he's already completed the circuit and you get that attributed to your balance sheet when you stand before God he's not going to look at you and your sin he's going to look at Christ and his righteousness he's our mediator a method yeah I mean it's clear problem, solution, choice you know, the problem is sin. The solution is Christ. The choice, you got to put your faith and trust in Him. You can't just know it. you gotta, you got to believe. you got to rest your hope on it. Just like you sat in that chair when you came in tonight. You put your faith in that chair that it would hold you up. And you do that with Christ. And so, the gospel's not complicated. The enemy wants us to believe it is. It's so complicated. You, can, you might mess up. Now, so I don't believe in a pat method, you know. I believe we need to be so filled with the gospel and the Spirit of God that we just want to talk. Listen, when something good happens to you, you don't have a script of how to share it with people, do you? I mean, let, let's say that you got a text right now that said you'd won the lottery today. How many of you would get out the door... It's a $20 million lottery. You're the only ticket holder. Okay, I don't know how this works, but let's, I'm making the rules, so this is the way it works. $20 million, tax-free. Tax-free. It's in the text. You get it. Whoa! You didn't even buy a ticket. You, bought, you purchased gas, and they, they give you a number, and you won this. It's there. It's legitimate. It's been confirmed by 27,000 people. You are the winner. How many of you can get out the door without telling that somebody? Hey, not to brag, Dave, but I just won the lottery. I don't know, you just get a lot of 
<laughs> well, this may be true. But the point is, you're going to tell somebody, though, aren't you? You just can't help it. You're going to tell your lawyer. You're going to tell, you're going to tell your spouse. You're going, to tell, you're going to tell somebody you can trust. But you're going to tell. Why? Because that's the best thing that's ever happened to you, right? And usually it doesn't even take a $20 million lottery. You know, usually you win one of those scratch-offs, you know, where you get you get a free candy bar and you go around and say, Hey, I won! <laughs> You've been putting nickels into that jar for weeks and you didn't win, I won. It's the way we're wired. But when it comes to the gospel, see, we don't, we, I think we, we struggle with, do we really believe how good a news is for us and how good the news is and how good it is for others? Um, okay. Read a book with somebody. You know, Kyle told you about reading books, I'm sure. Yeah, it's that's an easy way. And and you know, Dave, you shared your testimony, you guys over in your neighborhood. It's amazing how non-threatening that is to a lot of people. Everybody wants to improve themselves, especially in an area like this. And so getting together, having some coffee, Chatting it up, you know, talking about what's going on in our lives and work, and hey, let's read a book together, you know, one on one or two or three of you, and you know, there's any number of things that you can do. And you, if you offer that, if you say, hey, let's read a book together, you know what? They'll usually let you pick the book. They'll let you pick the book if it's your suggestion. Hey, yeah, that sounds good. What do you know? You want to read? Well, you know, let's read this book. John Stott's book, Basic Christianity. Well, it's a little book. It's a powerful book. There was a guy that, um, that uh, I, <clears throat> I won't call any names, but this guy visited our church a time or two, and I, I called him up, and I said, hey, let's, he lived pretty close to where I did. I said, hey, you know, you know get together and uh, get coffee or you know, get a biscuit at McDonald's. Yeah, he was all for it. So we got there, and I said, hey, how would, you, how would you like to read something together? Just, I mean, just, we live pretty close by. We could just get together occasionally and do this. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. So I said, I got this little book. So I gave him a copy, and I said, I want you to read the first couple of chapters, and I'll read the first couple of chapters, and next week we meet, and we'll talk about them. Well, the ne- guess what? The next week when we got together, he'd already read the whole book. He'd already read the whole book. It was a good thing that I had, too. You know, I, I cheated. I'd already read the book. I knew what I was giving him, right? But the guy came to Christ that week, you know, just reading a book together. I mean, I always wanted to go, no, you're getting ahead of this thing. I, this has got to take us a few weeks. But he would already jump the gun. And so, man, it was so easy. So, Basic Christianity, Marks of the Messenger by Mark Stiles, a great little book. The Gospel and Personal Evangelism by Mark Dever. These are little books. They're not intimidating books. This is not War and Peace. But they're powerful. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Uh, Conversion by Michael Lawrence. Um, the Transforming Power of the Gospel by Jerry Bridges. This one's a little thicker, but you know his stuff's really good stuff. But these are non-threatening books. You know, they can think they're going to learn something about evangelism or they think they're going to learn something about conversion. How does that work and all those things? So it, they approach it maybe from an academic standpoint. Now, you've got to believe that God's doing this, so you've got to enter this prayerfully 
and expecting God to do it, asking Him to do it. You're not, don't, don't go in thinking you're going to persuade them. You know, that's like doing this from guilt or something. It's, it's a man's tool. But you just start, it was just like with this guy. I didn't tell him. I didn't give him a heads up. I just said, God, I, you know, this is a great opportunity. I want to I develop a relationship with this guy. And, you know, I don't know if he's a believer. He says he is. He claims he is. But when he started reading the book, he said, I'm really not. I didn't have to do anything. It was kind of hurtful, you know. You want to you say, wait a minute. <laughs> but no, it's great. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Spend just a couple minutes on encouraging missions. There are things we can focus on in discipling. Dating, marriage, career issues, parenting, money management, etc. Um, there are a few reasons why we want to encourage missions in discipling. Number one, missions like evangelism is not optional for us. <coughs> you know, you may sing as a part of the worship leadership team. You may teach a Sunday school class for children. You may stay in the nursery uh, at church and take care of kids. You may take a pie or flowers to some, somebody, a family that's grieving. Those are choices that you make, and those are all good things. But they're not necessarily things that everybody in the church needs to do or is equipped to do. But they're optional. They're kind of optional. But doing evangelism, doing missions is not optional. You know, it's, it's who we are. It's supposed to be who we are. So we're expected to do those. All Christians are called to serve in global evangelism in one of two basic ways. One of two ways. Be a goer. Be a sender. A goer. You know what a goer is, don't you, Charles? <clears throat> you pack the suitcase, you get on the plane, and you go. You, you give up. You take a week of vacation or you take some time off. You know, it may, it may have a financial cost. You know, you may not get paid while you're gone. Or, you know, it's going to cost you time being away. And, of course, right now we're not able to go because of what's going on in our world with, with the COVID and things. But, but we've had... Lots of people from our church who've done this through the years. They'll go for a week. Sometimes we've gone for two weeks, and we go to a place like India. It takes so long to get there that we'd stay two weeks in order to make it worthwhile. So uh, being a goer, giving yourself to go, and there's any number of things. We, we try to have mission opportunities that are different layers, if I can say it this way. We have kind of some of your basic entry point type missions where you're just getting introduced to what it means to go into a culture not like the one you live in. So that may be something like Spain where it's, you know, it's going to be a little bit more tame. It's going to be a little bit less risk involved. You're going to be working with a camp. You're going to be working maybe on the street, you know, doing some puppet ministry or something like that. The goal is still the same, but it's not quite as... Uh, risky you know it's not what we would call frontline kind of stuff where you might you know end up in jail uh, we do that in India um, and and it's happened you know you're out there you're more into the open area the unprotected area you're not in a bubble you're not you know you're in a place where somebody may throw a rock at you so we have some of those and then we have some all in the middle you know and so we try to provide that progression where you can start here if you haven't ever done it before here's a place to go and say okay I can do this without you know 
being too anxious this time around, and maybe I'll work my way up, or maybe this is my sweet spot. There's no shame in that. There's a need in lots of different ways, so we try to do that as a church. Uh, you could be a sender. A biblical picture is that if we don't go, that doesn't end our responsibility. We should structure our lives to help uh, support others who do go. And we've, we've done that in different ways. And I'll try to circle back to that next week if you'll remind me uh, some of the ways that we've used as a church to be uh, help our people be senders. And uh, because it, it's going to take a little bit more discussion than what we've got time for here tonight. Um, engagement with missions brings glory to God again. Um, encouraging missions and discipling. Again, you can read a good book on missions together. You could consider various missionary biographies. That's usually a great thing. A Jim Elliott, you know, written by Elizabeth Elliott, her story uh, in Ecuador. Uh, the um, Adoniram Judson, who's credited with being the first uh, missionary to leave the United States and go and went to Burma. And uh, incredible story. On Golden Shore was the name of it. Um, Yeah, uh, anything Max Stiles has written um, is pretty pretty inspiring, pretty challenging. Uh, you can ins you can consider various missionary biographies. Okay, there's plenty of them. You know, Alati Moon, the hiding the hiding place uh, with Corey Ten Boom, or uh, you know, there's anything like that that will that will inspire you uh, to this. So, uh, model of concern for missions. And I think I am done. You got any questions? Okay. We'll stop there. C.S. Lewis, The Mere Christianity. Great book to use with a non believer. Paul Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress would be another one. Be good books to read to someone that was. Uh, Interested or maybe not interested in Christianity, but you know, they're you could do the Lord of the Rings if you're up on that stuff, you know, that uh, that's over my head. But <laughs> anything that can give you an opportunity to talk about the gospel, it can be useful. It doesn't have to be uh, John Calvin's Institutes. I'll take a picture of that book. Which one? That first one? Basic Christianity? Yeah. John Stott? Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Good to see you, Jerry. You too. Thank you. See you.